Hello, superhero ethics fans. My name is Matthew Carroll, and the reason I'm, you find me in your feed today is Matthew Westfox is traveling, and he had some internet issues and could not upload his normal Thursday superhero ethics episode, so he asked me to step in and drop something in the feed for you guys, and that thing will be our new show, Pandavision, the first episode of our new show, Pandavision. Uh, we are, it's, it's going to be a home where we cover uh shows that don't fit into the, like the big universes that we have shows on the stranded panda network about first we covered the boys and this last few weeks where we've been covering umbrella academy uh and so if you like those kinds of shows those are the kinds of shows we're going to be covering over the next few months uh, or i guess in perpetuity on pandavision so uh check that out umbrella academy launches tomorrow but what we'll be playing here in the feed is the boys season one episode one the first episode of pandavision uh, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Today on PandaVision, we kick this thing off with The Boys, Season 1, Episode 1, The Name of the Game. All that right after this ad we have no control over. Baby! <laughs> Welcome to PandaVision, the Stranded Panda podcast where we are trying to cover all the great TV we love that doesn't fit into all the universes that we also love. And today, we're talking about The Boys. My name is Matthew Carroll. I am Jeff Randall. And I'm Matthew S. Fox. And we're going to do a little triad for this one. We're going to try this triad thing out, and we're going to talk about The Boys. Uh, first off, let's do a rundown of what the plot of this season one, episode one episode was. Um, by the way, we're going to talk about this spoiler-free for season one for a while, and then we're going to transition into spoilers and talk about, uh, toward the end, we're going to talk about what happens in the overall season arc. So if you're watching this along with us, great, and you can just stop there. If you're watching this uh, for the second time, we'll have some content at the end with our vague recollections of what happens in this season. Um, so this episode, this is the first episode of The Boys where we meet a young Dewey who has a girlfriend, and that girlfriend is run through by, uh, what's the character's name a train a train a train a train runs through dewey dewey's girlfriend kills her and then uh basically they want him to sign an nda he refuses and that opens up the door for our our uh, our sort of secondary main character who is billy butcher billy the butcher thank or, you sorry, yeah. billy butcher yeah billy butcher comes along and asks asks him to place a bug to use his in with the with signing the nda to place a bug and uh that introduces him into this world of billy butchers where uh he is hunting soups or trying to spank soups as he says and uh he says how do you spank a soup and then he finds out at the end with a fight with translucent the invisible man and uh uh, the invisible cunt. <laughs> right. <laughs> Billy tells Dewey that he has killed Translucent, and now they're on the hook for it, and they kind of go on the run and throw Translucent in the trunk. All the while, we have Starlight, a young Midwestern girl who has dreams of being a big superhero, and, uh, and, and she is kind of mistreated by the Seven, and she is... Um, What's a word for what happens with, with the Deep? She is pressured into a sexual encounter with the Deep, and, uh, and, and, and she decides after meet after a happenstance meeting with Dewey to, uh, go in and be strong and be part of the seven and not give up. That is the basics of this episode. Let's get into what we think about it. 
I think the word is coerced. Sure. Through blackmail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first thing, let me say, list of content warnings. The, the first laugh I got out of this episode was the list of content warnings was longer than I've seen on maybe any other show. <laughs> <laughs> really that true. content warning list was like a Cinemax movie late yes. at night. Yes, it was. And, and that made me laugh. And it also, I put it on my list of notes because I wanted to bring it up first because we are probably, we're going to be talking about things on this show that are not so kid friendly. So this particular yeah. PandaVision show, the boys is not kid friendly and we are not going to probably be talking about it in as kid friendly of a way as maybe we do other things. So just a content warning about the content warning. I mean, I did say invisible cunt pretty early. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was <laughs> like, whoops, so I, didn't, I didn't get to the content warning in time, but sorry, parents. <laughs> Uh, they, they should have known from the content warning watching the show yes absolutely i i, I concur um uh, but but nonetheless sorry parents uh okay so what do you guys think of this episode you know i think this is my favorite example of world building that i've seen in a superhero show and certainly in episode one because one of the one of the things that I like so much about this show, and I won't do any spoilers, but we see it, you know, through the whole all all the episodes, is they're really going deep on the idea of what would actually happen to a world in which superheroes became real, you know. And it often when I watch other superhero media, there's a part of me that's thinking like, okay, but like once you have superheroes like this, it's going to fundamentally change the way the world is, and like. You know, and that's everything from, like, the way that in this show, you know, superheroes become part of, like, marketing and, like, now there's no real need for, you know, uh, human sports and stuff because it's all just about, like, kids are just, you know, not playing with G.I. Joes. They're playing with the toys of the different superheroes and stuff. Down to, you know, I've watched TV shows like The Flash and loved them and thought, okay, but how he's running at that speed, how does he never just, like, crash into someone? Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of the episode is someone who does exactly that. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, this is a world I'm so excited to live in, you know, because it's really going deep on the idea of, you know, the things, some of the things we love about superheroes, but also like people are people. And what would happen when real people got superpowers and real people got to put superheroes on cereal boxes and got to, you know, have their daughters be superheroes. And like the idea that there's now a beauty pageant for girls with powers. Um, it oh, just, yeah. Everything in this, I thought they just did such a brilliant job of saying what would actually happen to a society once superpowers existed and they're just running with it. Yeah. And not only the beauty pageant, but the uh, the wonderful moment when they do the casting and she stands in front of the camera in this very dehumanizing casting yeah. way and says, hi, her, my name, my height, my weight, like this is who I am. The, these are the important facts about me, my physical appearance. Now let's talk about my superpowers. Like right. it's so disturbing and it fits so well with actual society. You mentioned world building. My favorite moment on this episode, probably for a lot of reasons. I, I, okay. There's a lot of great moments, but this, this moment is what like really drew me in and really sunk me into the world. When he stands in times square and they do that mm. slow pan around times square. And you see all of the different ways that the superheroes have been integrated into every part of society. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. Not from, from just like a world building perspective, but also from an effects perspective, they killed it on the effects that looked so real when it does that pan around it looked perfect and i just really 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 loved that moment 
I had a lot of uh, a lot of thinking on this episode, um, you know, going back and watching it again, because the first time I watched it, I was just like, you know, shoving popcorn in my stupid face and absolutely loving everything that was going on. Because like uh, like you guys said, it is it's this crazy, real, hyper realistic take on what would happen if superheroes were real, you know, because they they are now the marketing thing. Like, who gives a shit about professional basketball players, you know, NBA or the NFL players, like any sports people, they don't matter because superheroes. And now the these superheroes also have uh, also have movies that they do. And like they're having a, a, a discussion in their in their boardroom, like in the boardroom of the seven of, you know, these these guys are pirating our like they pirated my movie, you know, three weeks early. And there's these, you know, these shirts everywhere in Times Square uh, of Homelander. And like this is billions that this company is losing, that Vought is losing every year. That's money out of our pockets. I'm like, yeah, why? No, superheroes aren't supposed to care about that. They're supposed to be better than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what it would be, though. Yeah. Is like it would be a corporate-controlled machine, and uh, it's just it makes me really sad about the world, and especially like going back and watching it uh, again. Like it's so just heartbreaking to watch all of this happen and like all of that hope that we grew up with and, and uncle Ben and you yeah. know, the Avengers and everything like all of that just got torn down and, and thrown away. Like, no, the Avengers wouldn't be like we, like we see it. It would, it would be this. I mean, I think about, you know, the, the, the two Jewish boys pre-World War II writing a, a story about, you know, messianic hope and and goodness and this perfect alien messiah figure coming from another planet to to save us all and calling him Superman. And they, like how far has that now gone to the incredible cynicism? Um but right. I think you're right, the kind of reality of cynicism. Um Matt, you talked about that great moment of her audition tape. I think one of my favorite moments is is her story, but just a few minutes later where she's been accepted and she's about to have her first press conference. And the the person is basically kind of like the publicity person is saying to her like, oh, that, that story you did about your, your sincerity and your kind of like naive corn girl innocence, like that was such a brilliant move. You know, it, it played well on this demographic and that demographic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Star, I think Starshine, is that her name? Starlight. Uh, Starlight. Starlight you know, looks at her just kind of like in this very much like, you know, country girl in the big city kind of way going that that was genuine. I wasn't trying to market. And, and the, and the look the PR person gives her that is just so like, Oh honey, you have no idea what you're in for. It was, it was just such a wonderful moment, you know, because it's, I'm sure that moment happens in Hollywood all the time. You know, that moment happens with, you know, all sorts of things where, you know, someone suddenly gets into the spotlight and doesn't realize all of a sudden they have to be marketed and packaged. And it was just like, of course that would happen in this world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about your marketability. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Uncle Ben and uh, we just did an episode a few weeks ago of it was Uncle Ben right with great power comes great responsibility. And in this world, the ethic of power is uh, is 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 a different one. It's the uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and so yeah. we're, we're we're and even this young girl, uh, you know, we see her naivete and like uh, her strength and power in the beginning, and then she gets there and immediately becomes mistreated. Um, 
with, with as Jeff said, coerced coerced into a sex act, and then she's um, and then uh, and, and then she also is just um, being mistreated by the publicist, like you said, like or like uh, she's basically having her naivete removed slowly, and like who will she become is the question. Like, is she just going to become another one of these heroes that is just as cynical? Um, because you know that the, the it's possible that all these heroes at one point or another believed uh, what the, believed in their own believed in their own goodness, you know, and and right. now the cynical nature of this is like just that they're completely corrupt, uh, at least. Yeah. This, and and the one that seems like he's not Homelander. The very last shot in the episode is Homelander taking down that plane to protect some sort of secret for Vought, uh, for the company he works for, and so that's just right. a whole. You know, it seems like every hero there is corrupt. And um, yeah, I love the scene, by the way, where Dewey and Starlight meet. Oh, on that bench, yeah. Yeah, really love that scene. I love their meeting. I love um, something that connected with me this time that I did not connect on uh, my previous watch of this show is how much Starlight's story reminds me of a musician's story. And like that casting mm, moment I can see was, that. was, was the casting moment was clear. Like, like the, she's being an actress or whatever. But when, when they, when he asks her the thing about, was this a work thing or a life thing? And then she says work thing, but then she goes to describe how, what happened destroyed her sense of self. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. that connected with me so hard because, uh, as a musician, um, we, we work really hard and we, it's easy for us to go, Oh, it's a work thing. Uh, we're worrying about the, this is, uh, this isn't my personal life. This is work, but when it's your passion, when it really is your passion and for her being a super, being a hero is her passion. Then that, that connection is not as easy to delineate. And so she says it's a work thing. And then she immediately goes into like how her sense of self has been destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and I, was, I just thought I loved that so much because I've been there. I've been like, I've put out an album and been like, it didn't, do well people didn't respond to it like i have worked so hard for and then going oh but it's a work thing this doesn't affect my personal life but then i know how bad it hurts you know like i've had friends who uh, have tried to make as professional musicians and some have been more successful than others and 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 one actually has been quite successful um not not as someone will know but he's like you know now like he's a touring guitarist for like you know people like kesha and really big name bands and stuff like that neat um yeah, and, and but what a lot of them have always talked to me about is, like, the struggle of, like, you know, when you're putting out your own music, do you put out, like, the art that speaks to you, or do you put out what you know is, like, you know, top 40 material? Yeah. And, and, like, um, uh, one, of my, one of my closest friends has often talked about, like, that he got out of the music game, and part of that, because he, like, you know, he'd be talking to, like, recording people who'd be like, yeah, this is awesome, but that whole, like, you know four chord changes, four key changes in one song thing you did there, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit avant-garde for radio. And he was just like, I, I can't do this. And, and yeah, I think that's such a great <laughs> connection you're making. Cause I can see that for her is, you know, yeah, she generally just wants to help people. And that to me is just such a, a, a powerful thing that she's then getting sucked into this whole machine. I love her, uh, her, her phrasing though, in her, uh, her audition video where she's like, you know, when did this, when did hopefulness get synonymized with naivety or naivete? Yeah. And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, it's been a while now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're literally having that conversation and calling her naive because she is, but 
why why is she why is believing in good naive and it's it's just right. because of the way the actual world works and in in a in a in a regular superhero show or t- or movie we're not confronted with that fact we're we're confronted with the fact that like the bad guys are the are the ones that are cynical in this world the world itself is cynical. We're living in a cynical world and it, it, there's, and we're ha- even our heroes, at least the ones we, we we've established so far with the exception of starlight. Like I think, I think Billy seems like a pretty cynical character. He doesn't, he obviously doesn't believe in these heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to, he wants to spank them as he says. Um, it's just a dark world. It's a dark world. And I, th- I do think it's a trope that we do see in other places. Like, I think Captain America is definitely someone who is kind of naive about the cynicism of the world that he's re-woken up into. And part sure. of what makes his character so powerful is that he has this idea of, like, I'm not going to give up on that. Like, because I think, I, think, I think what can make a really interesting story is when a character says, yes, you might think I'm naive, but I'm not, you all think this is the way the world is and the way the world has to be. And I can hold on to the idea that the world doesn't have to be like this. And I think that's what makes someone like Captain America so appealing and Superman and I think uh, uh, Starlight so far. Um, But -hmm. it's just such a, but you also look at it here and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like Captain America, a really big, bold light against cynicism that's, you know, out there. Whereas in this, you're sort of like, I mean, watching episode one, I can't possibly imagine any way this story ends except, you know, Starlight cynicism just getting swallowed up by the, the huge, because as you said, it's just, it's not just like the cynicism of a regular world. It's, it's the way the entire superpower idea has just gotten melded into the, all this. Yeah. It, well, it's the infrastructure around the superheroes and it's just the, and, and I think this is making a statement about our world and it's making a statement about capitalism and how we need something other than just raw capitalism and running of, of like a company running this sort of organization seems like a bad idea in this scenario, you know, and that's, and that's what they're getting. This is what happens when the Sokovia Accords go too far. (laughs) Well, see, in that case, what you're saying, Sokovia Accords is about the government and some sort of elected body. This is someone just seeking profits. So when, you know, she's threatened by a politician, she uses her military power to take down the plane, you know, Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's, that's, that's what I think they're, it is part of what they're saying here. It, it it's amazing that we're there's so many different like modern day issues that this is commenting on, and also just you know the what what thing gets talked about a lot, especially especially like right now when we're recording this, but also just been an issue in our 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 world for a while is you know the privatization of police and military and things like that. And so yeah, also the fact that the the mayor of Baltimore has to negotiate with her, you know, how many millions of dollars in order to hire what is. And basically, at this point, the superheroes are law enforcement. I mean, they're there yeah. to stop the criminals and to to do good, but they're completely unregulated. It's completely corporate. There's no, you know, and, and cities have to pay for it in a way that, you know, uh, they have to bid. Like, this idea of, like, you know, does this one hero go to Baltimore or uh, Atlanta? The thing that uh, that really uh, struck me as far as, like, uh, how the, the supers have been kind of privatized military uh, is when Dewey was looking through all of the, the papers in his house and his dad was like, what are you doing? He's like, we can't charge. We can't charge with murder because they they're like the president or I, th- I think he said the president, um, but they can't be charged while on the job while they're working. And right. I was like, that's it, like that is grossly like 
very inappropriate law. <laughs> like that yeah. is, yeah. Well, that's real bad because well, and I, you know we're while recording this, we're in the middle of uh, these protests and riots for George Floyd, and I couldn't help but see that and go, oh. The, the, this is uh, pretty timely. The yeah, idea yeah. that the idea that these uh, they're basically saying these are law enforcement officers that have some sort of above the law. Uh, they're 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 being treated as above the law. Now in this case they're like officially above the law uh, yeah. because they feel like it's important enough in their society to have that. And you know I, I couldn't help but connect that to what's going on in the world right now. Now we're we're not dropping this for a few weeks, and so any any discussion of the George Floyd stuff is hard to have because as fast as things have moved, um, it's yeah. like, I have no idea what's going to be happening in two or three weeks. Um, it's, it's, it's insane, but the, this is, uh, the, the, I think this show is definitely making an allusion to, um, law enforcement and, you know, what happens when law enforcement goes too far or collateral damage or whatever, and how, how yeah. you deal with that. Yeah. And I think it's really making a really powerful illusion in two ways. One, certainly the, you know, ideas of collateral damage and the, and law enforcement. And, you know, in that regard, it, it's on some level, there's a similarity here between what uh, A-Train does and what Scarlet Witch does. You know, in both cases, it's the kind of, you know, a superhero ostensibly trying to do good and someone, you know, gets in the way and, and, and winds up being hurt. Now, obviously the, the huge, huge difference is the degree to which they care about it. And Scarlet Witch being so obviously upset about it and really wanting to try and do better. A-Train, literally laughing about it in a club. Um, oh, and I think that you're right there, that both of them are such good commentaries on, you know, of course they were thinking about it in terms of George Floyd, but, but all instances of that. Um, where I though go is, and I, I know I'm much more of a fan of this, I think than either of you two. For me, it's, it's as much about police brutality, but it's also as much about professional sports because what I'm seeing there is the kind of culture of, you know, million dollar athlete mm. who is, on all the cereal boxes and treated like this hero everywhere. And now someone comes forward and says, this person raped me. This person assaulted me. This person, you know, <clears throat> bullied me, like whatever it is. And there's this whole culture to be like, let's quietly pay them off, but let's make sure that this doesn't become a PR problem. Like that whole world was very much what I was seeing there, especially with the whole idea of like, we're going to give you this check, but you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement. And like, the person's going to go on TV and say that they have their condolences and they feel sorry for you, but never officially accept any responsibility. Um, like, I definitely saw the whole thing of law enforcement in there, but I also really saw the whole, like, what happens in our own world of, like, professional athletes, you know. Or any celebrity, really. Yeah. Any yeah. celebrity at all, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and these, these same are, thing happens with movie stars or, or any of yeah. those folks. And these are actually movie stars, all these people. Um, yeah. But they, that's the thing, like, they this company Vought has come up with a way that they have um, seemingly um, what's the word I'm looking for monopolized the superhero market of in some monetized way. yeah yeah I'm saying what I'm saying monopolized in that no one else has them so you have to come to them for oh, fair, yeah. for, for superheroes and it, it seems that like. you know that that's that seems very dangerous because then these laws they can they can uh, they can have make these laws happen so that you know, uh, so right. that they can not punish them for for things done on the job because they're that important to your city or whatever. You know, you can you can rent our superheroes, but you can't prosecute them because they're that important to your city. And they don't hmm. explicitly say this, but I have to imagine, like you know, let's say Starlight was like, "Fuck this, I'm leaving the Seven. I'm going to go do my own thing." 
does that mean she now doesn't have those protections? Like, you know, because I definitely feel like Starlight feels like she has to be a part of this. You know, she can't just go off and be her own hero. Right. And the deep makes this point. The deep says, uh, oh, but you attacked me. You know, like Vought and and the deep, if the deep thinks that way, you know, that's how Vought has thought of this is like, if she turns on the seven, then they're going to make her a villain. They're going to PR her into being the villain, the crazy girl from the Midwest who came to the seven and attacked them, you know? Right. She's been planning it this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it it would be easy to make, make, make her into a villain. And then she's just, yeah, she's still superpower, but of course she's no longer a a hero on the job with protections. She's a villain to be stopped by the other heroes. Right. Yeah. It's the, and it's, it's because when you have such a huge, powerful media empire, Mm -hmm. the ability to spin that story, you know, Exactly. Uh, which again happen you know that happens all the time in our own world. Yeah, it's just it's just a perfect analog to our own world, and I love it. I love it so much. The uh, we're, we're talking a lot about the way that it the way that it interacts with our world and these ethical questions and these sort of like whatever all this stuff, but also just like the characterizations in this show are great. They really like, are. Characters are wonderful. I love uh, I love Dewey. I love how. They give him, they give him this thing about his musical taste with Billy Joel and Simon and Garfunkel, and he talks about how like uh, that those aren't fighters; these are these aren't infiltrators. Like, I love the idea that he identifies so heavily with his his musical taste. Um, that's just a very specific thing for the character to have, but it also is very true. Like, I'm the kind of guy who listens to this stuff, and, and but then when uh, when it shows. Um, Billy beating up translucent at the end. I think it's like, uh, and that thing, I think it's called songs called London calling uh, plays. It's like uh, that, that sort of punk song. It's just like, Oh, that's the kind of guy he is. And, <laughs> and it's like, he's the, he's the, he's the punk rocker who is going to do what he has to do. And he, he is the infiltrator. He is the scrappy fisticuffs guy, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And he'll use anybody he needs to apparently. Uh, because his story changed so many times, like FBI, cops, you know, it's all the same. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I was a little disappointed with that. I, I was, There's a part of me that really liked the idea of, like, the federal agent kind of being the hero as the government tries to get power back <laughs> from the huge corporations. But the yeah. direction they go with it is still pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, just talking about characterizations and the ways they set things up so well, uh, Dewey and his girlfriend, that first scene, I feel like this show would not have been as effective as it is. And this first episode would not be as effective as it is if they didn't have such chemistry. And that scene is written so well, they feel like, I mean, it's, 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 it feels like a trope almost, but the fact that they like, they have a conversation about poop. <laughs> <laughs> which like, yeah. which is something you don't do with a new girlfriend. It's like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of, t- it's, it's sort of that, like they, they're definitely comfortable with certain conversations that maybe they wouldn't be on a first date, but they're still talking in euphemisms because they're still keeping the romance alive. You know what I mean? Like they're still, he's, she's still being like, Oh, stop it. You're gross. Like there's like a, there's just this little playfulness that shows the sort of depth of their feelings that happens so quickly on screen that immediately I understand where they are in their relationship. And then of course she also talks about them moving in together. Uh, and, but he's like, what like like there's still it's it's just such a real feeling relationship um and so when her death happens it is it is one of the most horrifying things i've ever seen on screen especially in superhero media you know yeah like this is is jarring this is 
maybe the worst thing I've ever seen in superhero media. The 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 A train just running directly through his girlfriend and him yeah. getting blood. And there's you see her spine and her jawbone and everything else just flipping through the air. Oh, it was it was it's so hard to watch. And yeah. it puts you immediately on the side of Dewey and his right to get some sort of retribution. Or restitution. Or any kind of solace yeah. that you know can be given in that sort of situation that Vaught is obviously not giving. Yeah. Uh, they're so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, though uh, about that scene though where uh Dewey and and Robin are talking uh you know before she gets blown apart um it establishes where he's coming from. You know, it 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 establishes his his baseline of what his character is and it's so, it like in such a brief moment like this you can see that this is a guy who is a nerdy guy that you know has these casual conversations with his girlfriend he's kind of quippy he's kind of funny he's a fun dude that then just gets his life brutalized right in front of him yeah and you can see the the immediate downturn in personality of like i can't have fun anymore because my life got ruined right in front of my eyes and it, like the way that this that this actor portrays it is just so freaking real and and it grips your your entire being like god i'm uh you've hurt my heart dude <laughs> yeah they show him like kind of just on the edge of a panic attack a couple of times in ways that i just mm-hmm. think are so well done you know yeah. yes and especially because like in some ways I feel like he's very much the audience point of view character you know he's kind of like the nemeshi geek guy He's the one who is kind of just like seeing all this. And if you think often, like in a lot of these movies, imagine if, you know, a normal guy gets to walk into Avengers Tower and see Avengers Tower and meet all of the people we think of as heroes. And this movie, this show takes that exact scene, but twists it in such an interesting way because it's not, it's, it's the person who has now seen the facade and seen the, like the garbage behind what's real uh, behind what's presented as real, and then just every step of the way. And, like, th- there, are sh- there are shows that I, I think of as what I call, I think you guys have used the words too, but, like, tight. And what I mean by that is, like, every little detail seems so intentional, and every little throwaway moment is so perfectly done. Um, and I thought that, um, that that scene where he goes in to get the apology, and it's like, blink and you miss it, it's barely there, but A-Train is, like, so clearly, like, dismissive of the fact that he should give this apology. <laughs> sorry about what happened to your girlfriend. Yeah, sorry uh, about what happened to your girlfriend. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, like, exactly. th- that, mo- that moment especially is when I was like, oh, this is a professional athlete metaphor, you know? Because it's just that, yep. like, the, the man-child who has been so incredibly spoiled and now has, like, no sense of responsibility because this PR person right by his elbow is giving him no sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just every little... Yeah. It, Totally it's agree. one of the best made shows I've ever seen like this. There's just no moment that felt flat to me. Yeah. The, Simon Pegg as the father, uh, first off, disturbed me because of his American accent. I didn't, I didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> first time I've ever seen Simon Pegg with American accent. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> me too. I had to look it up to make sure it was him. I'm such an audio guy. Like I'm such an auditory 
stimulation guy that like when when it was happening i was like that can't be simon Pegg. it looks just like him but it's not right um it it, it bothered <laughs> is me this american simon Pegg imposter yeah exactly i was like is there a different guy who just looks just like simon Pegg? um okay but yeah he he he's great but the yeah he's actually wonderful in the show so far but the uh the way that he is feeling about his son signing um, just made me, it's such it's a small thing and it's mainly meant to like flesh out Dewey's character and where he's coming from. But like what I read, what I also love about it is it's showing how normal people view their view, how powerless they are to these yeah. to the seven. Not only that, but the, the way that, I mean, just the, the way that his personality is in general, it's like, you know, we saw Dewey, kind of give up on the the conversation of the rays like without even having it you know in the yeah. in the beginning of the episode but then his dad comes back and and just straight up tells him to his face you don't have the fight you never did mm. and i didn't either like you got that from me we're not fighters so we need this money. It could do us a lot of good. Like, what the fuck are you saying, Dad? Are you shitting me? That's really interesting, especially when the other arc going on in this episode is Starlight decide it comes in thinking she's a fighter and has been training her whole life to be a fighter. And then she gets there and feels like she fails. And then it's Dewey. Yeah. Dewey through the lens of his girlfriend uh, telling her, like, it's not it's not what you do. It's who you are. Like who you are is not always one action. Like you can mess right, yeah. up once and, and continue fighting. Um, and so you I, fell on your ass. Doesn't fell, mean you have to stay there. Right. You fell on your, your fall on your ass is not who you are. Um, and I thought that was, that was really insightful. Um, and, and it, I just think, I think they're trying to do something there. I, I can't fully elucidate what I'm trying to say, but like, they're both like, he's a guy who is not a fighter who is finding a reason to fight. And she is someone who is a fighter who is finding that she isn't always able to, that she's not perfect, you know? Well, I, especially I think because it's, and it goes to something that we talk about all the time. Um, you know, as a superhero, who are you supposed to be fighting? Like she probably, I think part of it is she really went in thinking like, I fight bad people and heroes are good people. And so I don't fight them. And so when the deep who, you know, is both supposed to be part of this group that she's always, you know, looked up to so much and is also her admitted like teenage crush turns out to be this just like incredibly sleazy, terrible person. Like, you know, in her mind, she's like, I'm supposed to be fighting bad guys using superpowers, not, you know, horny heroes who are abusing me. Like you can see that it's so much about like, this is not the fight she ever expected to have. And she, at first she's not able to figure out like, how do I want to fight this? How do I want to respond? Yeah. How can I fight this? Especially when he holds all of this power over me. I mean, it just, it goes to show that powerlessness, even though she is so powerful. Yeah. It's right. not the kind of battle she knows how to fight. And that, right. I think that's, really interesting. She's entering a different kind of world with a different kind of battles. And if she, if she doesn't navigate it properly, she'll end up like one of them. So now she's, she's always thought I am the good person who I just have to figure out how to fight the bad people. And now she's realizing I am a good person. I have to fight to be, to not become the bad person. And I, I think that's fascinating. And I think it's also such an interesting idea of power because you know, we don't, we haven't seen either one of them in a fight, but so far, like, this person who can, like, burn so brightly that she'll blind and break things around her versus, like, a guy who seems to be kind of 
Aquaman and control fish or something. Like, I, I certainly get the sense that if the two of them fought, she'd kick his ass. Um, and I think what <laughs> part of what it's saying is that the power here isn't like if they physically fought, she would win. But that he understands the fight is that physical power, even for superheroes, is not what's important. Um, this is going to be a weird stretch, but have either of you played the, the role-playing game Vampire the Masquerade? No, Unfortunately, no. But you've told me about it a little bit. It was a really great game 20 years ago. Some people still play it. I still love it. I'm literally staring at my shelf where I have two full shelves of books from it. Um, but one of the ideas that it has is that in a world of like a whole bunch of different powered groups, you know, werewolves, vampires, mages, etc., that the vampires are one-on-one the weakest of all of them. But that in many ways, they're the most powerful because they're the ones who have the most human influence. And, you know, an individual werewolf can kill an individual vampire, but a vampire can get a politician to bulldoze the forest where all the werewolves live. You know, like, and and it's just such an interesting exploration of the idea of even on people who have superpowers or, or whatever you want to call it, is the ability to throw the best punch the most powerful or is the ability to like, you know, get your name on a billboard and control the story. Whereas, and I think so far the boys is really saying it's the second one. Um, especially with the fact that it seems the most powerful people are the ones who don't have powers. The, the woman who's directing, you know, uh, you know, the negotiations with the mayors and stuff like that. And the PR people like, these people don't have superpowers, but they seem to hold the real power in this world. And I just think that's such a brilliant exploration. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, she she understands that about herself as well, because in the shareholders meeting, she said, we make, like, when she's saying, like, what? We make heroes super. And yes, that's that that whole, like, we know that we control this thing. We know that we have this grip over all of them. And without us, without the way that we market them, without, you know, our our lawyers and the way that we control the optics, these heroes would be nothing. Hmm. And it's just, oh, my God, it's such a powerful statement in in such a tiny line. Yeah. And I'll is talk now, more about that line in the spoiler section, too. I was going to yeah. say, is, is now a good time to move into the spoilers? Kind of, we want to keep this to an hour, and there's uh, some sh- stuff we can say about that. Yeah, I guess I want to run down my little list of other things real quick. Um, Go for it. I really <laughs> like the introduction of Billy. Uh, his first line is talking about nanny cams and how many people, how many nannies do you think shake a baby? And then the line he says is, the bollocks people will believe if you scare them enough. And I think that's that being his first entrance into the world makes me feel like that's part of his ethos is like, I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be one of the sheep that's scared by Vought or scared by anything. I'm going (laughs) to do what I think is the right thing to do and not be scared. I'm not going to let myself be controlled by fear. Um, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting introduction to his character. Um, One of my favorite moments, you guys have mentioned a couple moments where uh, people made really good facial expressions. And I think this probably has to do with the direction of the show, uh, but the actors and the direction has been really good. But I love the face that Dewey makes when he, he says, you do, you do love your, you do like your job, right? You're not selling kids smack. Are you? And then not selling kids smack. And and then he looks at, he makes his face just like this says so much about the way he is feeling about this conversation and the girl and like, it just said so much with only a face. And I, I loved yeah. it. Loved yeah. it. Because the, the same moment. Of, I can't believe I said that dumbass shit. Oh my God. Well, but it's also so insightful in a way he doesn't know because not literally, but I think she's in the moment where she's finding like 
maybe I kind of am selling smack to kids in a way yeah. I never thought I was, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. So uh, many levels, so many levels so on this many show. Levels. Uh, another couple things I really loved. I love the spitting the blood at translucent um, with a smile on his face. I love when he realizes he's got so much blood in his mouth that he, it is a weapon. Like it is a weapon he can use. And he just like figures that out and he smiles real big and just spits it in the translucent's face. And it's just such a great, great moment. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, I, that, there's a lot of great lines I, I liked, but uh, I loved when he knocks everything over and says after with the car and says, sorry for the mess. Um, yeah. And I love when Dewey kind of wins the battle and says, skin's carbon, highly conductive. I saw it on Fallon. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really great plant and payoff. They, they planted, they planted the, the carbon conductivity, like in Dewey's first, like opening monologue about the Sony stuff or about the, the AV equipment. And then they reminded us about it on Fallon. And then at the end it was the payoff. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so good. (laughs) Such a great job. Yeah, I loved the also, I really loved I Don't Want to Go to a Second Location with You. Yes, oh my God. <laughs> Just such a great line. And um, and then also the training. This is my one gripe in the entire episode. My only gripe. And it's head cannonable, but it's kind of stupid. Uh, when Starlight is showing, shows Starlight training for the first time. Uh-huh. And she is punching that brick wall that someone is actively using on the other side. It's like a garage that someone's actively putting stuff into. They're not even moving it out of. So like she is, I guess punches walls for training, which shows kind of a badassness, but like it's not sustainable is all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a sustainable activity. Yeah. But I feel like I've seen that, that moment in so many superhero movies and sometimes the superhero is like, kind of like, oops, I didn't mean to do that. Sometimes they don't notice. Like that's definitely a trope. And I felt like that was, I think you're right. It's kind of dumb, but I thought that was intentional of kind of like referencing a scene that happens in so many things. Well, that, sure, yeah. that was intentional to, to show her training and her dedication to it. But it also, uh, it, it, it gave a little bit of an insight into mom's character, like her mom's character, because her mom was just like, you got to punch through the wall. You got your targets on the other side. Like she was encouraging it. Yeah. I just, I, is this, it, are we, that, that's my question. Like I kind of needed a little like background. Like was this a wall that was, this is a building that's being demolished. Is this a building they want to destroy? Not <laughs> apparently not. They made a point of showing a man on the other side, putting things in the garage. It just didn't, yeah. it doesn't like a forest, show that examines so many of those tropes I, I was like a little disappointed that like the the wall didn't fall over and the guy yeah. wasn't pissed at her or something you know like something weird it was just something weird i think that was her mom on the other side oh i thought it was a, it may have been i thought it was a man but uh it may have been it, i thought it was a little bit odd that she did have a uh a, a car for lifting in the backyard yes because uh, everybody's got one of those in des moines right yeah for sure. <laughs> i don't know i've lived out in the country before and there were definitely cars oh, yeah. just random cars in in yeah the yards. old burnout car that you should never take take out to the record yeah, it has like grass growing through it and stuff so i, I, I can see that part <laughs> let's get to spoilers <laughs> i just wanted to get through those few things before we let okay. go. if you're if you're joining us for the first time please subscribe please throw us a five-star review in itunes it really really helps out the show and uh we're going to talk about spoilers so if you've already seen this whole season uh jump over there with us spoiler time compound vs people (laughs) oh yeah i'm sorry you're supposed to give your like yell into the spoiler thing go ahead
Yeah. Oh, oh, oh right. Oh, cl- classic old MCU cast stuff. Classic old MCU cast countdown. Spoilers in three, two, one. They really do make heroes. Yeah. Comma, super. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that till you mentioned it, but you're like, yeah, we make heroes super. It's like, no, they literally do. That's such yeah, a yeah. great drop in the first episode. It's just like you mentioned the drop and payoff of that uh, carbon conductivity. Like, this show is great with that, and it makes me even more excited for this rewatch, because now that I do know certain things, like, I'm yeah. really excited uh, about stuff like that that I'll see that I didn't see before. So good call with the we make heroes super. Yeah, well, yeah. I- and for me, honestly, it's the character of Homelander, who I think is interesting. We almost didn't talk about it all in the in our pre-spoiler section. It's so and, hard to talk about him without spoiling the rest of the season, though. Right. And like, I mean, it's so interesting because he presented very much as the uh, he's very clearly supposed to be a Captain America character. And a Superman. I would say Superman. But yeah, the Boy Scout. The Boy Scout, clearly, but also just very much with the American, you know, the American flag and stuff like that. And I felt like. For me, at least, when I was watching it the first times, one of my biggest questions was, who is he and where does he fit in this? Because I think, in the first episode at least, he's presented as, he's the one who's not cynical yet. And that maybe he's actually even kind of naive. You know, that he is like, we're good, we're doing the right things. But, you know, and like, I took it away as like, I was really wondering, like, I mean, I was really shocked when he destroyed the plane. I was like, but that's not who I thought you were telling us he is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they had the, the boardroom scene where he was like, I don't care about all these, uh, this lawyering stuff and, and this money talk. Like, what is Starlight going to think? Right. What I do care about is who have you saved this week? Exactly. And then, like, later we find out that maybe he, like, does it because of his weird mommy relationship with the, the what's the name of the woman who's, is it Miranda? I'm it's Elizabeth sure. Shoe. Well, Elizabeth <laughs> Shoe, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, like, there's just so many twists and turns to his character. And then, of course, all the things we learn at the end. I, mean, um, I call her the Wicked Witch of the West because she's melting, I'm melting, I'm melting. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> I feel like watching his character, knowing where he ends up, is going to be so interesting this season. And probably what we'll talk about the most in the post-spoiler section. Yeah, agreed. I remember thinking in episode one, the first time I watched this, I was like, not him too. No, I yeah. thought he was the good one. Right. Yeah, it's such a betrayal of, of the character that you think he is. The thing that I think is interesting about his character is that, and we, we kind of mentioned this in the non-spoiler section, how everyone is becoming cynical. I don't think he's cynical. Exactly. That's what's so interesting to me is he is a true believer. I don't think he's cynical at all. Whereas most of these heroes have come into this game. They may have all, they may have all come in like starlight. Maybe every one of them came in like starlight and then they slowly got, uh, you know, turned by this like sort of evil organization and this power corrupting them. And they're, they're like seeking to be good. And we even see that with, uh, the female character, the wonder woman analog. I, I don't may remember. Have. Maeve. Maeve. Queen okay. Maeve. Queen, Queen Maeve. Maeve. We see that with her character uh, in later in the season where she used to be like Starlight and she wanted to be like Starlight and she even tries to stand up to Homelander at times. Yeah. But I don't think Homelander is that. And we clearly know he didn't get, he was born and raised by Vought. So like, I think he is a true believer and has been raised to believe in his own goodness so much that no matter what he does, it's good because he's, yeah. he's Homelander. And, and that's what I think is going to be so interesting because I went back and forth the entire season and like, is he the most naive character or the most cynical character in this show? Because like, they, you're not sure until that very end. Um, and for me, that kind of ties into, and I kind of had to be careful talking about it earlier, the point that I was making about professional athletes. Because I think like, 
one of the things that, um, and people are not trying to change this somewhat, but one of the, like, there's been a lot of real studies of, like, professional athletes who become, you know, kind of like sexual abusers or, or violent in other ways. And one of the things that's, that has been talked about a lot is that a lot of these people are, and especially men, identified as really athletic prodigies by, like, age 12 or 13, you know? And from mm. that age, they're now being, you know, pampered and spoiled and, like, taken care of. Uh, I mean, not always by any means, but, like, I mean, uh, but, like, especially not with, like, material wealth, but often that there's a whole bunch of people around them, you know, college, high school recruiters and, like, people from traveling teams and people, like, really trying to, you know, kind of make a buck off of what these kids can do. They're being groomed. Yeah, they're being groomed along the way, being told, you're great, you're wonderful, don't worry about it. If you get in a little bit of trouble, we'll take care of it. And that in some ways they kind of become man children because they never yeah. have to like deal with responsibility. And I think with Homelander and even more with the deep, that's definitely something we, like, I don't remember the exact details, but there's scenes later that where we see of the deep where he's kind of really being called out and he's, I think, you know, sent to Sandusky, Ohio or something like that. And his reaction is just this kind of like, he reminds me of like a 14 year old boy who doesn't understand that all of a sudden there's consequences for his actions when he's been told his entire life that there are no consequences. Yeah. Yep. What happens to you if you're a boy who is raised that way and then you, you get to the other side of that and suddenly you were the man with the power. Right. Um, that is, that is a disturbing idea and it, and it happens in our world and it's happening here. And, and it yeah. happened in a, uh, happens all the time. You know, when you think of like the athlete who, you know, gets an injury or something or suddenly isn't as good, you know, all of a sudden the deep isn't marketable. And so they just drop him. And he doesn't have that protection anymore. And it's like, I, the fact that this show is able to, to show him being so horrible to Starlight and not give him a redemption arc by any means, but still make me sympathetic for him towards the end of the show. I was yeah. like, this is such good writing. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. The way that A-Train has his fall, uh, you know, when he gets injured or, you know, when he's starting to think that he's slowing down or somebody's faster than him. Like yeah. that, that push to be the fastest, like I, you know, there's only one speedster on the seven and it's gotta be the fastest guy. And that guy has to be me. So yeah. obviously I have to take drugs in order to, to achieve that. Yeah. Well, and that, that whole idea of it's not just the drugs, they're all on this drug that has pushed them to this level and they, whether they know it or not. And this is a corporation you start to realize everyone here is a victim. Like most of the people who we're seeing are victims uh, in some way or another. And they're also villains, but they're also victims. And it's, it's hard to parse that out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's such, and especially because it gets to something that I think actually like, you know, Matt, we've been talking about a lot in some of the, the hard discussions you've been bringing up. And certainly that I've, I've been thinking about a lot in terms of, all of the George Floyd stuff about the police, but also just conversations we've had about capitalism and about, you know, the, 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 the government and stuff like that, that a lot of times I feel like a discussion about who are the bad guys kind of misses the point because a lot of times the, the most destructive part of it are the kind of institutional systems that are at play, you know, and that's, it's much harder to punch capitalism, you know, it's very easy to punch, you know, Lex Luthor. Um, but so much of what this show kind of goes into is like, you know, Vought is this sort of big, is the big evil, but it's also just the whole culture of the fact that, yeah, people are willing to to buy up all of the A-Train, you know, hero worship A-Train or someone like that. And so not pay attention to 
maybe the terrible things that are happening in the shadows. Like, oh, it, it it's such a hard show to watch because a lot of times I, I watch superhero stuff partially as escapism, you know, because I want to watch the bad guy get punched and feel like the satisfaction of like, yeah, you know, evil got got punished. I, I don't think, think there's any way this show is ever going to be. I think we're going to have some satisfying moments, but I, the way the show is, I don't think there's ever going to be a time where we're like, okay, yeah, this person, they're the evil. If you punch them, everything will be okay again. Well, I think that's part of the the way that they wrote it and the way that they're presenting the show is uh, if you notice, if you go and look back, there are no super villains throughout this series that are shown. Oh, that's not true. Actually, there are because um, that's one. Are of there? The, that's one of the things that we find out uh, in the later. I don't know if they're shown. Actually, you may be right. They might not be shown. They mentioned them because that you find out that Vought has been. <laughs> Uh, giving compound V to people in uh, they've been. Well, it was it, it was Homelander doing that. Oh, was it Homelander doing that? See, I don't remember. It that. was yeah, it was specifically Homelander giving compound V to other people to create supervillains so that he could right. have but, something to fight. Yeah, right. So that they could have somebody to fight against. That's like a that is that person to punch. Right, but. They don't have supervillains outside of that. Our our first introduction to the heroes is them stopping a robbery, and then any time after that is just small petty crime or, you know, there's, right. there's obviously, I, I say small, like any crime is punishable, but like there's robberies, there's break-ins, there's, there's things that like, first off, why would these criminals be doing this still <laughs> yeah. in this world where there are super people and like, not only super people, but like there's deep learning machine, like machine learning analytics going on to like spot people. There is, there's project insight happening in this show. Yeah. Why the hell would you be a bank robber? Yeah. But like they're fighting against like those guys, you know, the, the ATM robbers, the, you know, the, the home invaders and, you know, the Joe Schmoes, they're not, there's no super villains in here. And I think that that's part of the, you know, the, the, the world building of this show is to show like you avoid the, the trope of a supervillain being a mustache twirler. You get into like, if you leave them out, then you can get to the humanity behind all of these quote unquote heroes. And you can actually explore everything. It, this is an introspective show. If not like more than anything, this is not a, a like what would happen if Germany got a, a super soldier serum versus America's super soldier serum. No, this is what would happen if supers existed. What would we as a people do? Yeah. Like what we know about ourselves as a culture, what would happen? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, it's such a good point, especially even, you know, Matt, when you were saying like kind of the big bad is Voight, Voight, but like, who's the person that's still a company, you know, the, I do, the, I do feel like we do get the big bad of, uh, the, the lady who Homelander who take the mother figure of Homelander. I think that she is as close as we get to a big bad on this show. Except yeah, when she's, true. except when she's killed, we're kind of sympathetic to her. Like, sure. But, but that, that, well, that's, that's the idea. I think that like she, she is, she is sort of the villain of the piece, the only real villain we get, but then she is to, to me, that's sort of the end of the villain. Like that's, it's a horrifying end, but it's kind of like this, this, like you think she deserved it. She gets her comeuppance <laughs> and it's horrible to yeah, see that sure. she gets her comeuppance in any other superhero story. It's like, that's, that's the thing we're seeing she built superheroes, but it turns out she's the villain. And now the superhero is defeating her. And so like the, the end of the story is the superhero 
the the, th- the closest thing we have to a superhero, uh, which is which is this uh, Homelander guy defeating the closest thing we have to a supervillain. But they're both so screwed up that you you're not really on either side. Like you're on, yeah. you're very much outside <laughs> of of them. He finds a great conspiracy and stops his version of Lex Luthor basically. Um, but then like we're not we're like oh that is so horrifying i'm not with homelander and now what is going to happen to homelander now that that mother figure that's been kind of keeping him a little a little controlled is gone and what do we get with like a true believer that he is uh with all the dogma that he has going forth into the world with all the superpowers and 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 I don't know. What are we going to see? What are we going to see when the world turns against him because he has no longer has the PR arm fixing stuff for him or what do we, yeah. I don't know. Or will, will he still have all of that? I don't know. I bet he will. Yeah, he may. I mean, to me, to me, it's kind of, I, I think I, I see where you're getting there and I think we're, we're kind of in agreement. I, to me, it's kind of just throwing out the whole idea of heroes and, and villains entirely, you yeah. know, because it, on some level to me, it wasn't even like by that point, I can't think of Homelander as a hero in any way. Oh, um, I don't either. Yeah, and to me, it kind of felt like watching Abomination kill Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, is Ross no? Is Ross the one who pushes uh, him to become Abomination? I, I'm trying to think of an example of like where basically like uh, a a villain creates a monster and then the monster kills the villain. Mm, like Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's certainly part of it. I think that you know, like I think DC Comics is more than than Marvel, but I feel like there's one or two examples in Marvel to be sure. Oh, um, you know, like uh. I don't even want to go to the fenders, but when Sigourney Weaver's character is killed by Elektra, um, you know, sure. it's, it's that, that kind of thing where like, you know, when I watch Elektra kill, I'm not like, Oh, it's clearly Sigourney Weaver has been the villain. I'm not like, Oh yeah. Elektra is a hero now. I don't think that my point is, I think they're trying to make the analog between those are the, th- those are the tropes. This is the Superman and the Lex Luthor of this world. And given yeah. the ideas that they're wrapped in cynicism and they're not who they, who we have to know them as is comic from comics or whatever. Like this is, uh, this is what that looks like in the real world is what they're trying to yeah. say. And like trying to make us look, examine our comic book tropes and go, Oh, that's what it would actually be like. That sucks. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And, th- <laughs> and th- there's no clear sense of like, especially there's not like the good people and the bad people, you know, every character has their own motivations. Every character yeah. has their own sense of right and wrong. And the, the I feel like we're going to have them align up in different ways as the show goes on. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens when uh, Homelander has a family and a son yeah. that he wants to go and raise. Like, what happens when that sort of person who has been raised the way that he has has a child? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it all connects to the thing we're talking about with man children, uh, and and then they're turning around and being the father to another child. Like, what does that do? Uh, we really need to shut it down. Uh, we were at that hour, uh, but can I ask one thing? Does he have a dog? Homelander? No, uh, Billy. Uh, Billy Butcher has a dog toy in his back of his seat, and I don't remember the payoff <laughs> for that. Why does he have a dog oh, toy? I don't think we ever saw it. Uh, <laughs> Dewey asks him, do you have a dog? And he says, no. And, and he sees a dog toy in his back seat, and then I, <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming that will pay off in a future episode. I just didn't know if you guys remembered. I, no, I, don't think I didn't so. remember it all, but now I'm be looking for it. All right, guys. Well, we are PandaVision. You can uh, find us at strandedpanda.com and find all of our other podcasts. So it's real easy now. We all have profiles. You can see each of the individual hosts as well as all of our all of our podcasts for Stranded Panda. So please go check out strandedpanda.com. Uh, get yourself a Stranded Panda shirt, whatever you want to do. It's all there. 
we're a, we're a network now. Woo! All right. Woo-hoo. Peace. We'll be watching. Oh, that's weird. Very weird. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Pandavision. We are a member of the Stranded Panda Network. For all of our podcasts and other creative geeky projects, check out strandedpanda.com. Excuse me. <laughs> I want to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> what was that, okay. Matthew? <laughs> there's, our, there's our intro music. Um. <laughs>